Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. talking about there, knowing your why, it's a great message. That, that in itself is a message. But it leads me into the introduction of my message, um, which is I wanted to tell the tale of two passions. Because that gentleman, of course, after he knew why he was doing what he was doing, then all of a sudden he was more passionate about it, right? He, then he started singing with all he had, and he had, he had, uh, he had context. He had something, why, uh, you know, a reason why now he was doing it. So, of course, he can be more passionate about it. Um, but I'm actually going to come from a different angle. I'm going to take that and tell you that that's not enough. Yes, you can know your why, and your why can take you into purpose, but I don't think purpose actually is ultimately what God is asking us, asking from us. I think God has been asking from us something different, something deeper. And the tale of two passions today is a tale of two kings. And the first king is King David, and the second king is King Solomon. So, so I want to talk to you a little bit about each one contrast them and I want to tell you and I want to show you how God has been calling us into deeper as a result of the life that these men lived all right both of these men obviously both of these men were great men of God you know that right I mean King David we always talk about King David right a man after God's own heart and King Solomon the wise king right but I want to get a little bit into their story because I've spent my time reading kings reading their reading their lives and I saw something very interesting while I was reading. Um, it was what their life signified. It was what, how they lived and how that relationship with God as a result of their life, what that did in their intimacy with God. Okay? So I want, I want you to start talking about these different two individuals and what that really meant and how it's, what it means for us as a body. And I think we're going somewhere. and You know, God has been speaking in this house particularly about going deeper, right? About getting more intimate. And so I want, I want to show that today, the tale of two passions. Um, and, King, and starting off with David, starting with David, David we always know, as I said, is a man that was after God's own heart, right? Sometimes I, I hear that, or at least for me, I've heard it before, and I heard this. I heard God is a, um, David is a man that had, the heart of God. Has any, anybody here thought about it that way? Is it just me? Okay, fine, whatever. Just me. Well, I heard it, when I heard it sometimes, I, I heard it say like this, David was a man with God's heart. Now, I've, I do believe, and, I, and the Bible shows that David was a man that had characteristics of God's heart. And that's why it says he was a man after God. It's like when you go to somebody, right, that has a kid, a child, and, and they act a certain way, and then you tell them what? He takes after you, right? So, so in, the, in, in the story of David, David was a, was a man after God's own heart. He took after God, and he had characteristics of God. But I want to get into the life of David. We see that, yes, he was a man that was devoted he was a man that was passionate. He had a lot of good qualities and, and a lot of amazing things that he accomplished.
But I also see in David an individual who was occupied with many things. Can you guys see that? If, if you guys know the story of David, you know that David was someone who was constantly, constantly warring, right? From the, from the moment that he was young and, and small, who did he come up to, right? Goliath. And then, and then he had to fight Goliath, right? Um, at that time, Saul gave him his armor, and he couldn't. He was a small guy. He couldn't take the armor on. And from a young age, he just had this, this mentality of warring. So as David grows and becomes king, then that's what you see his life become, a man of war. You know, David was a man that, that was constantly on the go, constantly having a reason to fight. Um, and I think that that in itself just occupied a lot of his mind. It was a mentality or a kingdom mindset of conquering, of conquering things. And I think that that's actually good. There's nothing wrong with having that war mentality, feeling that you have to come against the issues, right, the situations in your guys' lives that you feel you have to come against, right? We have to war. We have to battle. But sometimes I feel that mentality takes away from a deeper sense of intimacy in our lives. Amen? Now, you know, when we talk about kingdom mindset and the differences between these two kings, we start with David. And we said David had a, a, a kingdom mindset of war. That's how he ran the nation of Israel. Okay, that's, that's how he ran his government, was battling it out, conquering things. Why? Because he was establishing something. There was something being established throughout the life of David. And so I think there was purpose. How this guy just mentioned, you know, um, you find your pers- purpose when you know what, why you're doing what you're doing. But I think there was a purpose that was served in King David's rule and how he warred and how he battled and and conquering. But at the same time, I don't think we can stop at purpose. I think purpose tells us what we can do, right? But I think if we stop at trying to think about what we can do, we're constantly going. It's like if we can never stop. It's like if we always have something else that we have to overcome. We're trying to find, like when someone asks you, what is your purpose? What, what is the purpose that God has for you? You're like, oh, man, what do I have? The first thing that comes to my mind is, what do, what do I have to do for God? What has he called me for? And so this is a, a warring, conquering mentality. So purpose is good, and finding purpose is good, but I think there's something deeper. And it's not what to do, but it's a place where we need to go. Can you hear that? It's not necessarily... Man, I want to do great things for God. That is good. Let's do great things for God. Let's war. Let's conquer. Let's battle. But if we stay warring, battling, and conquering, we're going to get tired, man. We're going to get tired. We're going to be worn. And we're going to be like, what else do I have to do? What else does my purpose function in? No, no. Wait, wait. That's when we have to stop and say, wait a second. There must be a place that I'm going if I'm warring all this time. Right? This warring maybe should be taking me somewhere. If you guys are finding yourself in your lives where you finally, you, you constantly feel that it's battle, you're conquering, you're, you're, you're struggling, that's okay. I think in our lives we go through struggles, we go through battles. But if it seems that the battle never ends and you feel like you're not in rest or you're not able to just sit somewhere and be at the feet of God, right, then there's something that's not changing in your life. 
If you feel like you constantly have to battle it out, then that means that there's not a maturity that's moving forward in your life. So I think we have, to do, we have to look at that. We have to stop ourselves and see, wait a second, is this something that I'm always striving for? If it's something that I'm always going for, yes, we have passion in what we do. But is our passion an inferior passion? We can have passion for many things, but it is, is it an inferior passion? And I want to talk about that a little bit more. Um, we can be focused on inferior passion with God. Like, for instance, let's say you're passionate. You can be passionate about the wrong thing. We can be passionate for many things. We can be passionate for, we can be, pa we can be, do the right thing, but not be passionate about it. You guys get that? So it, it, it goes much deeper than just being passionate about something. I saw in David an individual who was passionate about warring and conquering. But I, I see in the transition, in the transfer from David to Solomon, a deeper sense of intimacy and kingdom mindset that God had for us and that God has for us. It was a great representation of where God wants to move us here in this body. And it's from going and conquering the heart of God and then being set at a place before God. So when I read the, the verse in 1 Samuel 13, 14, that says that David was a man after God's own heart, what I'm reading also is that David was constantly going after God. He was constantly moving after God to accomplish, to conquer so that he can be approved before God. But we here have been talking about the differences between Martha and Mary, right? We've been talking about how Martha was the one who was serving God. And then Mary was the one who was at his feet, listening to his words, and she had her eyes set on everything he was saying. And then the story goes on to say that, that Martha was upset because she was serving the Lord. She was doing, she was conquering. She was passionate about giving to God. She was passionate where it, with what she was doing for God. But God, or but for Jesus, but Jesus says, yes, Mary, you are doing these things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that one thing. So, so we could go out and conquer and battle, but God is at one point in our lives, even though it serves a purpose in our lives, where we war and we battle and we overcome, then God set, is going to tell us, wait a second, now I want you to stop and rest and just look up to me so that I can conquer your battles for you. Because if we keep going and going and going, then we get worn out. But if we could stop at the feet of God, what does the Bible say that he does? It says that he goes before us. So purpose, when we talk about purpose, I hope I'm not going too fast for you guys. I know I'm giving you guys a lot of things right now. When we, when we talk about purpose, I'm going to stop right here and sit, sit on this for a little bit. When you're, per, when, you're, when you're functioning in purpose, it seems like you're being driven, right, by purpose. This is why I, this is what God has called me to do. So you're driven by that. But when you stop and sit at his feet and listen and look up at him, then all of a sudden he leads you. So, so I'm not so focused now on purpose. 
now my idea of intimacy, my idea of growing closer to God is set on rest, on, being, on sitting or kneeling or being before my God and focusing my eyes, not losing my sight of who he is. Because when we do that, then he leads us. Amen? Do you guys, you guys know the story of Moses? Right? He, 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 free, he helped rescue the people from Egypt. He took them out and they were going to the promised land. Now, were they driven or were they led? They were led. Moses was called out as a representation. I was talking to my wife about this the other day. She was, she was telling me. She was preaching to me the other day, man. Amen. And, uh, and Moses led the people out of Egypt to reach the promised land. And Moses was a representation of God to them. So if that's a picture of what God is telling us, then that means he wants us to be led by him. Amen? So the funny thing is that um, this purpose thing, this, this, this mindset um, of purpose that David seemed to have because he functioned in warring, uh, I think he failed to see what presence could do. Amen? I think he failed to see that if he stopped actually trying to strive and go after the heart of God, that he can actually sit and get so much closer. Sometimes if we can sit down just for a moment, we might actually find ourselves so much closer to our God than if we feel we have to keep conquering the heart of God. Amen? Um, in, in Solomon's reign, when Solomon became king, at the end of David's life, he spoke to his son. And he told his son, uh, listen, when you become king, I have all these scores to settle. This was at the, I'm not going to take you verse by verse. I'm going to talk to you about this right now. I just want you guys to receive this. Um, at the end of David's life, after conquering, after everything happened, David actually built an altar for God. Okay, he built an altar, but he was instructed to do so. David was instructed to build an altar for God. And the reason was, at the end, if you read it, um, of Samuel in David's life, the reason he built the altar was because he actually sinned against God. Okay, and so God instructed him to actually build an altar because his people were, be, were suffering as a result of his sin. So he says, he says God, what can I do to, to make this right? He said, you build an altar for me, and there you can sacrifice and there atone for your people. So David went ahead and did that. And the end of David's life, that altar was very representative of the life of David. Why? Because it was a, a life filled with bloodshed, a turmoil. There was like civil war going on within the nations within the nation of Israel and Judah. So it was very representative of David's life. He lived in a life that was constantly chasing in turmoil and bloodshed. And what he had to do at the end, towards the end of that book, is you read is that he had to build an altar to sacrifice. And that represented bloodshed. That represented redemption. We know that none of these two men were perfect. David wasn't perfect and Solomon wasn't perfect. We know that. But at the end of his life, or as you read David's life, you see that David lived out constantly having to feel redeemed, 
constantly have to ask for forgiveness because he, would, he was a great man of God, but he lived in this up and down relationship where he was conquering, conquering, doing amazing, then he would fail. And you, we know some of the things that David actually did was some pretty grave sin that he committed. He was, a, he was a man after God's own heart, but we also see the lows in his life and we see how he was constantly asking for redemption all the way towards the end of his life where the altar was built and he had to sacrifice as a result of his sin. Amen? So, so at the end of David's life, when Solomon's going to be, become king, David tells his son, he says, um, listen, make sure you take care of these individuals, you know, they... They did this or that, and I, we need to go after them and make sure that, that we kill them or whatever. Okay? So he tells Solomon to do these things, and then he tells him, and make sure that as you reign, you act like a man. <laughs> Any guys ever heard that before? Act like a man. I'm like, I'll tell you what, it really struck me when he said that because what the way Solomon responded to that was pretty interesting. You know, I can relate in my life to trying to figure out what it meant to be a man, you know? And I, I hear these words, act like a man, and the truth is that in my own life, I felt like I was trying to figure that out. I was trying to figure out what it really meant to how I really had to be in order to be like a man. And he tells this to Solomon, and Solomon goes up to God and says, God, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I'm like a child. He, he, he felt he was ignorant, and he didn't know how to lead the nation. So David says, hey, act like a man. And he says, I have no idea how to do it. I don't know how to rule. I don't know how to, how to do this, and I need God's help. And David tells him, you're wise. But still, Solomon goes up to the Lord and says, I need wisdom. They're telling, and maybe that was prophetic. Maybe David was telling Solomon that he was a wise man prophetically. I don't know. Possibly. But nevertheless, David went up to, uh, sorry, Solomon went up to God and said, God, I, if you want me to lead as great as my father led, then I need you to show me how to do that. I have no idea. And so the first thing that we see Solomon do is ask for wisdom. And let's, let's go there real quick. It's in uh, 1 Kings. 1 Kings verse, uh, chapter three. Okay. And I'm going to go down to verse seven. Now I want to point this out. It's very interesting that at the end of David's life, David's life pretty much ends in the book of Samuel and, uh, Kings begins with Solomon's reign. Isn't this interesting? Isn't it interesting that you're going to see something that the transition from David to Solomon was actually also a transition in the way they ruled and the way they, their mindset functioned. I'm going to show you this and it's going to make sense to you. So look what Solomon does. Solomon asks for wisdom. Chapter three, verse seven. I think that's what I have. First Kings chapter three, verse seven. Let's start there. Now, now, my Lord, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a little child. This is what he's saying. And do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern 
to govern these people of yours. So the first thing that Solomon does is ask for wisdom. Now, when God, and God right away gave him wisdom. God gave him wisdom as, as soon as he asked for it because he said he asked for a great thing. And this is what I want to point out. The transfer that there was in kingdom mindset and the transfer that there was in the way they ruled was this. When, when Solomon asks for wisdom, the reason he asks for wisdom, if you read when we were reading uh, verse 9, the reason he asks for it is to obey. He wants to discern so that he can rule correctly in judgment and so that he can obey God. Let's read it again. So give your servant a discerning heart. To, uh, to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Solomon wanted to do the right thing. So the reason he's asking God for wisdom is to do what's right, to obey God in how he served. All right. Now, what does that mean to us? That means a lot because last week when Regal was speaking, he was sharing off of 1 John 2.5. 1 John 2.5, pop, pop it up there. Look what 1 John 2.5 says. It says, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Um, read that again. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. But the problem is that he asked for wisdom to obey. And I want to keep that up there. What happens when you obey? The love of God is perfected in you. So his request for wisdom wasn't selfish. His request for wisdom wasn't just so he could know how to do things. Because we can know how to do things, right? We can have wisdom, not just knowledge, right? Because knowledge, knowledge, knowledge is what we acquire when we, when, through practice, we learn how to do things and we learn how to, how to, uh, we learn about something as a result of our experience. That's what knowledge is. But wisdom is the ability to use that knowledge correctly. For instance, I give you a gun. <laughs> and you learn about the gun, you see where the bullets are, and you learn, you know all the parts of it, and you even shoot it. But wisdom is going to give you the ability to know when to use that. Amen? So, so, the heart of Solomon when he requested wisdom was for obedience. And then what does God give Solomon, which I'm going to show you guys. Solomon, uh, God tells him, listen, because you requested for wisdom and the heart that you have to obey as a result of the, of the request that you made for wisdom, I'm going to give you so many other things that you have no idea for. He says that to him. He says, you, you asked for the right thing. You asked for wisdom to obey me. There's a heart in that man that God was pleased with. And as a result, this is what happens in Solomon's life. And this is what I want you guys to, to really listen and capture because it's where we're at. When we function in wisdom, we can function in many different ways. How do I know that? Let's go back to the garden. What did Eve want when she ate the, from the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil? She wanted wisdom. But what was the heart of Eve when she asked for wisdom? When she, first what happened as a result? She disobeyed God. Listen to this. 
Eve wanted wisdom just like Solomon. But the heart of Eve was in disobedience. When Eve was seeking out wisdom, the only way she was able to acquire that wisdom was by disobeying God. Go put First John again. Put First John. The love of God was not perfected in her when she did that. See, see, Eve was already in communion with God. Eve was in proximity with God. Eve lived close. He placed Adam and Eve in a garden so that he can do intimacy with them. She had intimacy with God, but apparently it wasn't enough. Apparently now she wanted to know what was right and wrong. But why would, she want to, why would you want to know the right and the wrong when you're already next to the king? What, what else do you need? If, if God has shown himself to you, if you've done intimacy with God and you're in a place where it's like you're face to face, it's bride and bridegroom. He's taken the veil off your eyes. You see him for his beauty. If that's not enough and you're seeking something else and something's wrong, there's something wrong in your heart. And that's what happened to Eve. She fell into sin. Why? Because despite the intimacy that she was experiencing with God, her, her desire for wisdom was for something that was not pure. It was for something else besides God. And that's the, that's the, that's the, the difference between King David and King Solomon. King David wasn't necessarily doing the wrong thing. But he was looking for inferior things. What I think is that David, uh, Solomon stopped and said, wait a second. God, help me obey you right. Help me do the right thing. Because I know when I do that, I'm going to be in line with you. I'm going to be. And God, in turn, gives him wi the wisdom to function in love. I'm going to show you this right now. I know it's a lot. I'm going I'm to show you this right now. When Solomon asks for wisdom... To do the right thing, all of a sudden he's functioning, functioning, the love for God is truly made complete in him. So the love of God, according to this word, was made complete in Solomon at that moment. How do we know that Solomon was able to function in love rather than, that, than conquering and battling? How do we know that? We look at the life of Solomon, look how he functions. Look at the book that Solomon wrote, Song of Songs. Song of Songs is a book of love between a man and his bride. It was the book that Solomon wrote that in the Bible says was the best book he wrote from all the other love stories he ever wrote. Song of Songs was the only book that made it to the Bible. He was a lover. He knew how to love. Solomon knew exactly. God gave him the discernment to love him right. See, I, I, I do see that... that uh, that David was after God's own heart, but I see that Solomon was functioning in the heart of God. That is, there's a big difference there. We can go after God. We can keep battling it out. We can keep striving for him and say, man, Lord, I just want you to know how much I love you. I want, I want to give everything to you. I want, I want to, amen, that's good, amen. But I tell you what, if you stop and rest and just be by him, you're going to accomplish so much more love with him. You're going to experience so much more love with him. So, so there was a big change in the way Solomon ruled 
All of a sudden, he functions in love. And the other book that he reads, by the way, that he reads, that he wrote, um, among the many books that he wrote, but he wrote uh, Proverbs. Proverbs is a book that we know that is a book about wisdom, right? So God gives him wisdom, and he writes a book about wisdom. But if you start learning about what this lifestyle or this kingdom mindset is all about, we realize that wisdom, if actually appropriately placed in love, allows you to function in God's heart. So I've, I, what I've been doing is I've been reading the Bible. I've been reading uh, Song of Songs. Actually, I've spent like two months or more just on songs. And then I read the book of Proverbs, just pieces of it. Then instead of reading it like, oh, man, I'm gaining wisdom, I'm gaining understanding and knowledge, like the book actually talks about, I'm actually reading it in a way where I'm actually learning about what love is all about. Because the book of wisdom is showing us how to obey God. Oh, it's quiet in here. <laughs> Woo, you can hear a pin drop in here. It's, man, when you hear the word obedience, right, you, it's not easy. Because obedience implies that you're doing something that you don't necessarily want to do. But when you can humble yourself before an almighty God and say, man, despite what I might feel, because we go off of feelings very, a lot in our lives. Despite what I might feel, we even say I feel God. You know what? I've, I've wanted to go past saying I feel, I feel God. Because sometimes my feelings can, be, can deceive me. So I, I, I kind of didn't want to say, don't want, I'm trying not to say that anymore. I'm, not that I'm trying not to say. I want to get to a place in my relationship with God where I'm saying I see him. Instead of saying I feel God telling me this, I, I think I can get there. I think we can get there. A place in our relationship with God where we're actually saying, we've, we've come into a, a place in our lives where we're actually saying, man, I see God. I don't just feel him, but I actually see, I hear God. Is it possible? Is it crazy to think that? Is it crazy to think that? Because then I'll tell you what, the whole Bible just toss it because the, the men and women in the Bible that you're hearing heard God. They saw God. Do you think that was it? It was just that time. That was the only time that he was going to part the seas and, and speak and have so much intimacy with Moses and some of these people that they went, they, when they got out of the presence of God, they walked into a room and they were glowing. And people had to turn away because they had the, the glory of, of the presence of, of being in the presence of God in and around them. Moses' face shone of the glory of God. Can we not be in that place? I think we can. But if we do that, we have to move beyond the inferior pursuit of trying to please and go after God and say, you know what, God? I'm going to find my rest in you this time. So, so this change of, of mindset definitely is, is not just based off of having wisdom, but it's learning how to use wisdom to honor God. Knowing that when God gives you wisdom, you want to honor him with it. And then a love story happens. A love story. And I think God has been taking us out of war and bringing us into love. I'm learning how to love. I'm learning how to love. I'm learning how to be a better man. I'm learning how to be a better husband. You know, when you guys stand, when married couples, married couples, raise your hand. When you stood in the altar and 
you guys shared your vows, you understood what you were saying, right? You knew the words were coming out of your mouth. I understand the word coming out of my mouth. Yes, we understand. I understand. But, but it wasn't until you lived in that love that you were able to, to gain wisdom about how to do love better. Right? So when we come to God, we, we know about God. We have knowledge. But as we do life with God, our wisdom grows and we learn how to obey him and how to love him better. I'm learning how to my love, love my wife better on a daily basis. You know, I think I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> uh, look, at, look at a man that had passion in his life and used it. Passion, love for something so strongly, but the passion was actually for all the wrong things. He was trying, put it this way, he was trying to do the right thing with passion, but it ended up being the wrong thing. The story of Saul, you guys know that story of Saul, when he was down the road to Damascus and God appears to him. This was a man that was a Pharisee among Pharisees. This man was a man that was well-respected and did everything he did in the name of God because he wanted to obey the God's word to the letter. Because back then, they didn't have the New Testament. Did they, have the New, they didn't have a New Testament back then. When, when the apostles were living back then, when Jesus was alive, I mean, after, even after he died, they didn't have the books. They had the Old Testament letter. So what was Saul doing? Saul was living by the Old Testament word. So he was a man that if we would look at today, he was like, whoa, this is a righteous dude. Like he knows, he knows how to live his life right according to the letter of the law. And he was so zealous about the law that he killed people in, Jesus, in God's name. Was he doing the right thing? Seemingly, seemingly, yes. And he did it with passion. But he never met Jesus. He never was confronted with who God really was until he went on the road to Damascus. And he encountered the presence of God that brought him to his knees and blinded him. He finally realized, wow, I really don't know who God is. I really don't know who God is, but I want to learn about this God. And did, did he all of a sudden, he had an encounter with God at that moment, but it wasn't that one encounter that all of a sudden he was this new man. I, I think we have an encounters with God in our relationship with God. We have a powerful encounter that might change us, but it's not until we live out that daily life, that daily life that every day we have that encounter, we remember it and we decide to obey and live in our love relationship with our God. Transformations don't happen just because of one encounter. Transformations happen because you have a daily encounter with God. King Solomon built a temple for the Lord. This, this is another reason why I believe and I know that King Solomon functioned in a superior form of intimacy. Because when you get married... You don't, I hope, you don't keep living in your parents' house. I mean, I hope, I hope there's nobody in here I'm stepping on any toes. But when you get married, you're looking for a dwelling place. Why are you looking for the, where are the kids? Okay. You're looking for a dwelling place because you want to do intimacy together. You're looking for a dwelling place because you want to do family. What do you want to do? You want to start, you want to spend time with your loved one. 
with your new bride, your new bridegroom. You want to do love with them. And Solomon actually, what his whole story was based on, if he leaved the legacy of what he did in functioning in love was building a dwelling place so that God can be close to him and he can be close to God. He didn't war. He took care of some things that David left behind. When David was, was, was handing over the kingdom to him, he said, just make sure you take care of these guys because they were running around and we got to make sure that we, whatever. So he had to take care of some things after David became king. And then as soon as that finished, there was no uh, um, turmoil like when David lived amongst the nation. He built a dwelling place, a temple. Forget the ark. He wasn't focused on sacrificing to God because he messed up so many times. What he was focused on is building a place where he can dwell as near as he can with God. That's what Solomon wanted. He wanted to dwell close to God. Through obedience, all he wanted to do is be in love with God. And so that his people can be in love with God. His kingdom rule was all about proximity to the Lord. That's what he was about. That's what the kingdom became. So your kingdom, your kingdom, what is your kingdom mindset as, you, as you're ruling? Because I'll tell you what, God can do something amazing in your life, right? But who, the person that, that God gave free will to make that decision is right here. So the one who's ruling in your heart, you're that king. Now, it's not until you come into obedience to the Lord that you become a slave. Listen to that. It's not until you've come into his obedience that you've come into complete and perfect love with God. That's when you become a slave. Now that kind of slave is not a slave that you, that you, that you, that you tell yourself or you tell other people, oh, I'm, I'm just a, a slave to God. I have to surrender my life. No, I want to be his slave. Why? Because when you're his slave, you're in love. You're, in, you're not a slave the way we think of slavery. You're a slave because you're enslaved in his love. Wisdom gives us the ability to love as God intended. I'm going to say that again. And I have it up there, actually. You can put that up. The wi put put that, that uh, verse, angel, where it says wisdom gives us the ability. This is something that I just thought when I was, when I was uh, reading. Yeah. No, 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 no. Not the definition. Wisdom gives us the ability to love as God intended. But obedience is the action required per, for perfect love to exist. Obedience is the action that is required for perfect love to exist. If we say, listen, if we say we love God and our love for God, our devotion to God is not a reflection of our devotion and our love for family and wife or husband, then it's a lie. I'm not saying that you're perfect. We know Solomon was actually, you read Solomon's life, he messed up at the end too. What, what did Regal say last week, right? If you sin, right? Regal said, if you sin. But that's the heart of someone who isn't trying to sin. That's not the heart of someone that's saying, hey, how can I get out of this one? How can I maneuver my way through this one so I don't have to necessarily obey God all the time? God knows your heart. You know your heart. 
Sometimes even though, even though you might want to try to deceive yourself, it's that we do that many times too. We try to justify what we want to do. But God knows your heart. See, obedience gives us the ability for perfect love to exist in our lives. It's that. Obedience. Our love for God, is, it's, it's made complete because of, our, because of our obedience to him. The book of Proverbs, the book of Solomon, so many other books, if you start reading in the context of love as a result of building a dwelling place for God, I challenge you guys to read the Bible differently. I challenge you guys to, when you read the Bible, start looking at God's heart. Instead of trying to figure out the letter of the of you know of each word, you know how like I do it too sometimes, like, oh, this means that. And bring some revelation to my life or somebody's life, you know. It's amazing. It feels great when you can learn about the word of God in such a way that it has so much depth to it, right? But where is your depth with your relationship and love with God? It's good. It's good to get into the word of God. It's good to learn and, and use it and, and grow. But are you standing before your God in the bridal posture? Are you standing before him? And has he taken the veil off your eyes? Are you face to face with him? And are you waiting for love's first kiss? Are you waiting for love's first kiss? Because that's when love's consummated. Well, I'm not going to say that. Love's not consummated on the uh, on the on the altar there. Love's consummated later on. When you do intimacy. Come on. Love's consummated when you do intimacy with God. You learn to love God through a heart of obedience. Are you guys standing before God right now and saying, I don't want to just know about you, but I want to be so close to you that I'm Hopelessly in love. Hopelessly the forever. Hey, we're going to start putting some love music in here. For You want what? Hopelessly devoted. Hey, that came from the Lord. <laughs> Hopelessly devoted to God because you love him so much that you all you want to do is be before him. Martha, you're concerned with many things, but one thing is needed. And that one thing Mary has chosen to be at my feet, to set my eyes, to set her eyes on me, on every word that comes out of my mouth. Why? Because they just, she's just hungry and thirsty for more of him. You don't have to go out warring. You don't have to war, go out warring to do that. I want to I wanna share a quick poem that I, that I actually wrote. I, I, told, I told Jenny this. Um, this was a dream that I had. Uh, I've, I've, I've written a lot in my life, but um, uh, recently for the last maybe over a year or a couple of years, I would say maybe a couple of years, I haven't, I haven't wanted to write until God has given me something. Um, and he gave me this in a dream, and it was about my life before. It was like a lot about who I was and, and what he was calling me out into. It has a lot about, the, it's, it has a lot to do with this theme that's going on in our church of proximity, of being unveiled and being before him and setting our eyes before him. It says this, if only you didn't have so many aimless dreams, passions and pursuits, so many loves squandered in lost affections, so many desires and benign fires, 
So many positive thoughts that rob you from my glory. So many appendages that reach out to so many choices. So many good ideas, so little time, and so much room. Because then I could be the only one who is all these things and more for you. And, and God is calling us out of everything else. He doesn't need anything else. He doesn't need your striving. He doesn't need you to win the battle. He needs you to come before him and sit and, and set your eyes on him. And just, you know, just be totally enthralled, be totally taken by his glory and by his love. That, when we do that, then we find purpose. If we're driven by purpose, we're always going to be moving. But if we're led by love, then we find our purpose. David was very passionate about chasing God. But Saul was passionate about being conquered by the heart of God. After the heart. In the heart. It, you know... Let's learn how to behold God in this place. When we come together here, let, or in our daily, because it's not really about this. This is good because we, can, we fellowship and we can love on each other and we do family, which is also part of what God has called us to. But let's get past the kingdom mindset that tells us that we have to war so that we can come after the heart of God. And let's come into the kingdom mindset here. That tells us that all we have to do is build this dwelling place for him. That's it. All we have to do is build this dwelling place in obedience to God. So that he can be close to us. That we can be close to him. And all we need to do is set our eyes on him and say, wow, Lord, your love. That's all I want. I want more of you. You guys get that? Let's do that. Let's stand for, as, as, the, as, the, as the music comes up. You know, Leo spoke about the presence of a father. Remember that uh, two weeks ago? You guys remember when he said that, that um, uh, talking about authority, and when his mother would tell him to do something, he was like, tremendo, but when his dad came in, then he straightened out because the authority came into the room and he straightened out, and, and you know that when the authority comes in, Bobby's going to come, so he started straightening out and he did everything he said. Remember that? Well, that was a very powerful message because it's true. When we have, when we recognize the authority of, of God or, or the authority that's over us, it straightens us out. But, but Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Listen to this. Come on. The, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. What does that mean? That when, when Leo's dad came and he straightened up, he was acting in the fear of God, right? But that was just the beginning. The fear of God is the beginning. of. Listen to this. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. What do we say knowledge is? Starting to know something through experience, right? But what are we trying to function in? Wisdom. We're trying to function in wisdom because we want to obey God. So if you're acting in the fear of God, you're, you're in a good place. But if you stay there, then you're missing the whole thing. If you're, at the beginning of Proverbs, the first chapter of Proverbs tells us that the fear of God is the beginning. 
Keep reading Proverbs. Because if you stay stuck on fearing God, then you're never going to really know the love of God. So if we can get past that, then now we can experience something much greater. And you know what that is? It's the embrace of the Father. Woo. I say that and I, it just hit me. Instead of functioning, you know, in fear and trying to accomplish and trying to go after in war, imagine functioning where you don't straighten out because the authority figure is coming in, but you straighten out because you can't wait to feel it. Embrace you. Take that personal because, of course, you know, the daddy issue for me has been all my life. But how much greater the effect, man, when I get my daughter, I don't even want to get in there. And I, you look at your child's face, you remember when they were young. Look after you. They go after you. They go after the embrace. They respect the authority when you need it, but what they really want is for you to hug them and kiss them. Guys, can you see that heart? If you're a parent in here, I know you see that. If you're not, it doesn't mean that you can't function and you can't experience that kind of love. You, you don't have to have gone through a bad time in your life to, ex to truly experience the love of God. Wisdom doesn't come just for the people who were down and out and, and went through drugs or, you know, were addicted or, you know, some of the most powerful testimonies in this place is the people that thought they had it all good. The love of God doesn't stop at somebody who is so down and out in their life that they've experienced a radical change. I believe radical change happens to everybody. It's a condition of the heart. When that happens, when you can feel the embrace of your father, that's all you're going to want. It's all you're... Wow. I just want us to be here for a second. Can we just play a little bit? with God and, and your devotion to God and all these things we've been speaking about when it comes to, you know, never losing sight of God and coming before Him and, and giving Him yourself in surrender and, and letting Him unveil your eyes, functioning in a deeper sense of what intimacy and, and love is all about. All these things we've been talking about, I don't know where you guys stand, only you do. But I tell you, you will be unsatisfied. You will be fighting for the rest of your life until you understand the beauty of obeying God. 
and finding love through that obedience. When you do that, you're not gonna need, you're not gonna find the need to have to strive anymore. You're gonna actually find yourself postured. You're not gonna be driven by purpose. You're gonna find yourself, you're gonna realize that it's not what you need to do, but it's the place you need to be. Before your God. And all these other things God will give you because when you ask for obedience to Him, He will, he will rain blessings of whatever else on you because your heart, all it wants to do is love Him with your obedience. Let's pray and let's just spend some time. Before I pray, I just want everybody to, whatever, however it is you do it, if you have to bow your head, if you keep your eye, I don't care. Keep your eyes open if you want. But talk to God right now and, and, and be real with where you're at in this relationship. Are you, are you someone who still feels that they're going after God's heart? Or are you somebody that actually is learning how to function in the love of Christ through your obedience? Or someone who desires to function in that? Be real with your God right now, right there. And just talk to him for a moment. That's it. Let's just talk to God.